My name is Nathan Detweiler. I'm the, the senior pastor here. We have been in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which is his most extensive, thorough uh, block of teaching that you can really find in the whole of Scripture. So this section from Matthew 5 to Matthew 7 is just incredibly dense, and uh, it needs to be kind of paused over and, and, um, and meditated on because of how quickly, um, how easy it is to pass by without thinking of it thoroughly. Uh, so in this, in this sermon, as we have seen, Jesus has set a really high bar. And the challenge for the, for the disciple of Jesus is not to lower the bar, but to look at the bar that Jesus, Jesus sets and shoot for, the, shoot for that um, by the power of the Spirit to follow Jesus and, uh, and really be a disciple. So we've talked about divorce, we've talked about oaths, we've talked about um, adultery and murder, all these different topics that are just very real and very um, prevalent in our world today. And today, uh, we have another. So we're going to be in Matthew 5, and we're going to read from verses 38 to 48. Jesus says, You have heard it that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If, any, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. So today's reading is really Jesus giving his disciples a new command a new way to be the new humanity on earth that they had not known before. And he gives them this new command based on the new thing that he's doing on the earth, that Jesus is doing and Jesus is accomplishing. And this passage is a little different from our previous week's passages in that unlike Jesus' teaching on oaths and divorce and, and murder and those kinds of things, he's not just nuancing commands that were known and, and giving, a, giving an interpretation, but he's actually changing completely how his followers are to think about this idea of really justice, of retribution, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. He's changing the way people are to think about this these days. He's not actually just challenging them to change their, their uh, thinking, but he's challenging them to change all of their actions in real time and the situations and the relationships that they find themselves in. He's challenging them deeply. Uh, previously, there was something required in the law of Moses, and he's saying, not anymore. We're, on, we're in a new era. So this is not an easy teaching, but it absolutely is a signal that Jesus is saying, this is the new way of being fully alive in Christ, being fully human, being the people of God, being the church. And it's absolutely binding on the disciples that heard it, and it's binding on us as well as followers of Jesus. So as I said, today's passage is really about justice. It's about justice. In this passage, Jesus is commenting on the law given by Moses, given, given to Moses by God in the Old Testament. And then in Jesus' fresh teaching, we see God's instructions for justice among the community of God's people after Christ. In the law of Moses, God instructed people to keep violence and bloodthirst from getting out of control by making sure that no wrong, that no offense 
went by without the offending party suffering the same consequence that the person who made the offense inflicted upon them. So the goal was that both parties would be satisfied that justice had been done in any given situation. And really, the commands we're about to read from the Old Testament are trying to help people to not be in this culture of, you know, one-upping each other with violence, and, and it's meant to bring about justice. So it says many, many times in the Old Testament this idea of an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. And here's three examples I'm going to give you from, just from the Old Testament, from the law, that talks about this idea of, of eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. And this is what Jesus is referring to when he says, you have heard it said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. So Leviticus 24, 19 to 20, it says, anyone who injures their neighbor is to be injured in the same manner. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. The one who has inflicted the injury must suffer the same injury. Exodus 21, 23 to 25. But if there is serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. Deuteronomy 19, 21. It says, show no pity, life for life, Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. The teaching behind these three, what sound to us to be very severe commands from the Old Testament, I really couldn't be much more clear. In the world that God has made, when something is, is done that's, that's wrong, when someone is, say, injured by another person, there has to be retribution of some kind for there to be justice. There has to be some kind of evening out of the scales, if you will. So God says, he commands, when someone does this to you, justice demands that it be done back to them. This is in the Old Testament. Not more, as in personal revenge, but equal, as in corporate justice. I say corporate because the law was to be overseen by the elders and the rulers of the people that God had put in charge so as to prevent cycles of personal revenge being carried out on other people. So in order for, for, for revenge and violence to not spin out of control, God says, if, let, let's just say, someone injures your foot, let's say they did it on purpose, then that person's foot is to be injured in the same way by the elders and rulers of the people. And in this way, everything was kept just in that society, and there was not this circular violence that begat violence that begat violence. Justice was done, and... Things were equal. And this was the way for Israel and what God commanded them. Because in God's world, sins, sins against other people require justice, require retribution. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. But of course we see the overall purpose of the command is to limit retribution to the extent of the original injury so as to curb violence among people that are feuding with one another. And I think Deuteronomy 19.21 sounds very severe. It says, show no pity, life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Part of that, I think, is taking the emotion out of justice doing, like show no, show no pity, feel neither good nor bad, but simply make justice happen. Let the rulers and the elders carry it out. Um, this is how you are to do it. This is how God commanded them. You have to understand that before God gave these laws, and, and, you have, and one thing that you should know is that at the time when God gave these laws, they, they did follow the law here. 
But later in Israel's history, they began to do uh, dollars and cents. And instead of breaking someone's foot for your foot being broken, they will charge a person financially. To, but still, justice is agreed on. Justice is being done in their eyes. Everything's being equal. But before this law was given to Moses uh, in, in, the, in the Torah, in the law, there was a lot, a lot of unsanctioned and reckless violence among God's people in the Bible, among, among our, um, our forefathers. If you read the book of Genesis, it's just painted red. It's, there's a lot of bloodshed. There's a lot of revenge. There's a lot of revenge stories. And, in fact, violence, until the time of, of Moses, was greatly, greatly escalating among the people. Many times people that are speaking against Christianity or against God will say, look at the violence in your Bible. And many times what they're pointing to is actually historical narrative of what happened. Not what God said to do, but what happened and faithfully saying what happened. So what we read here, what we're going to read next is not sanctioned by God um, as being a good situation or a good outcome. It's just describing the increase of wickedness in the world. So Genesis 4 is when this really comes to a head, starting with Cain and Abel, but later in verse 23, Cain's uh, great-great-great-grandson, Lamech, he says to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to me. Wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech, 77 times. So this is a story, first of all, of someone who apparently a few generations after God uh, set up Adam and Eve in the garden had decided that polygamy was a good idea. So he has multiple wives. Again, it was allowed but not, not commanded by God, apparently. Uh, where they, uh, but, but he had multiple wives. That's one, one thing. Another thing is uh, he takes vengeance and is apparently proud of this vengeance. Uh, for, and he kills a young man for simply injuring him. That's, that's something he's, he's proud of. I've done justice because I, I killed someone for injuring me. It could have, could have even been an accident, but Lamech says, you know what, we're going to snuff this guy out. So this is only a few generations away from the very first murder that happened in the world with Cain and Abel. And why did Cain kill Abel? Because he was jealous that Abel's sacrifice was accepted by God and his wasn't. So... Here we have Cain saying, you know what's just? Attacking my brother violently uh, because I'm jealous of him. And then six generations later, Lamech saying, you know what? Some young man injured me, so I killed him, and I'm proud of it. And he says, if Cain is avenged seven times, Lamech 77 times. These are, the, the, the escalation of wickedness is intense. And starting, in, starting in, uh, in Genesis 4, you can really see things spinning out of control in the world that God made. People taking justice into their own hands to inappropriate extreme measures. Uh, and in the minds and hearts of Cain and Lamech and their offspring, uh, it, was, it was considered just to kill someone just because you were jealous or because someone injured you. And to avenge yourself, in fact, 77 times afterwards, which is a way of saying incredible wickedness. So as you can see, you know, violence was out of control in the Bible. These are just a couple of examples before Noah's flood. At the time of, of the flood, you know, this stuff was way out of control. Like, wickedness in the world was excessive. And, uh, and life was, was uh, looked at in a very cheap way during that time. But you, one thing you can see is that violence is out of control. Another thing you can see is that it was very emotional. It was people emotionally reacting and responding 
uh, all on their own, based on vengeance rather than based on thoughtful justice. So into this world, God comes along and gives the law to Moses in order to limit this type of thing happening. So God says, anyone who injures their neighbor is to be injured in the same manner, not more, not less, fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. The one who has inflicted the injury must suffer the same injury. If there's a serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. Show no pity. Life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. In the minds of the people who would have originally received these commands from God, these three commands from, from the Old Testament, there's, there's a God who is there to keep order and set things right. And the way that he directed them to do it, to bring about justice in the world, was simply for, for people to be injured equally based on what they did. That was God's justice. And into this society, into this environment, in, and under these commands, under the law, Jesus comes along, and he actually doesn't just nuance the law of the Old Testament, but he changes it altogether. Jesus directly quotes not the words of men, but the law of Moses given by God. And he counters this previous teaching with a new teaching, with a new teaching, going as far as to give examples showing how his new teaching is to be lived out in very concrete situations that people would experience. It's clear in what follows that Jesus expects his followers to figure out how to literally obey his, his new command uh, creatively and in their own context. So reading again from verse 38, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, but I tell you. From now on, instead of the requirement of retribution and justice, as in you know, life for a life, an eye for an eye, foot for foot, Jesus reveals that his people are to be always ready to give love, grace, and forgiveness when wronged, so as to not only reverse the dangers of the out-of-control violence and retribution in the world, but even more to create an alternative type of society known as the kingdom of God based on the completed work of Christ on the cross. Jesus is teaching us in his new teaching, as we're going to see, how to live in his kingdom. And it's not going to any longer be eye for eye, tooth for tooth, life for life, but a brand new revelation, new instructions. Jesus was fully aware of the Old Testament law of Moses. In fact, he was the author because Jesus is God in the flesh. He is the image of the invisible God. He was with God in the beginning. Everything that was created and said by God was created and said through Jesus. So Jesus you know, instituted these laws for a purpose and for a season. But Jesus, upon his coming into the earth, he knew that a new time had come. What John the Baptist talked about, repent for the kingdom of God is, is at hand. A new time has come. There's a new way to live. Hebrews 3, 4 to 6 talks about Jesus. He says, Every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all of God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the son over God's house, and we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. And what this is saying is, Moses was great, Moses was faithful, Moses was, uh, was, was the giver of the law, which Galatians says was our guardian until Christ came. 
But now, Christ, Christ has come. So the law that was our guardian is now, uh, is now subsumed by whatever Christ teaches and however Christ teaches them. So now that Jesus has come and justified us by faith in him and his work on the cross, we're now going to see the results of this work on the cross in the new commands he gives. So, so let's get into this passage. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. If someone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard it said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. In saying this, Jesus is first telling us that when an evil person instigates us in some way, such as attacking us physically, attacking us emotionally, attacking us on Twitter, however you get attacked by somebody, that we are not to resist and put up walls with that person. That we are, to, uh, we are not to resist them in that way. Instead of resisting the person, we are to be ready as a new reflex in the new kingdom of God to offer love and grace in creative ways, which destroys the work of evil and brings an end to cycles of violence and the domination of evil. Jesus is saying that through his cross, our response to evil can now snuff out the power of evil through his death and resurrection. We're going to see this played out. In the first example, Jesus says, If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Has anyone here ever been slapped in the face? That's like a really personal space. Like getting slapped. Ooh. That was very personal too. But getting slapped in the face, I mean, could there be anything more degrading than being slapped by somebody? I don't think there's much more of a physical insult you could offer somebody uh, in this kind of way. But in Jesus' day, just as in our day, to personally attack someone by slapping them in the face is dehumanizing. But even more disrespectful than that is a backhanded slap to the face, which is what Jesus is talking about, insinuating that you are not worth the front side of someone's hand. So if I'm right-handed, slapping someone, hitting them on the right side of the face, it's a huge insult. So this backhanded slapping sends the message that the person that's being slapped is inferior to the one who slaps. And in this situation, eye for eye would mean hitting back exactly as you had been hit. But Jesus tells his followers to respond in a creative way by refusing both the temptation to violence while also demanding that the opponent slap you properly on the left cheek with the front part of their hand. Hitting back keeps evil going in this situation, but offering the other cheek nonviolently reasserts your own dignity while putting your opponent to shame, who most assuredly will not be slapping you in the face after you do this. So in this example, the power of evil is snuffed out with love and grace. Now you have to, be care- you have to really be careful when you read these, uh, these, these uh, examples that Jesus gives because the temptation is to say, hey, I'll get them, I'll get them by doing this and, and having that kind of revenge in your heart. But Jesus says that this is to be done in love with the intention of snuffing out evil. With the, he says we are to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us right in this passage. So as you, as you reassert your dignity by turning your other cheek to a person who has slapped you with a backhand, um, you are 
you're not saying, hi, gotcha, you're, you're a shameful person. You're saying, I'm not going to attack you, and in love I'm going to snuff out this violence just as soon as it comes to me. And Jesus tells his followers, and this is a very creative, um, I think, way to talk about dealing with, um, with, with violence, dealing with justice. It's a creative way to apply the cross of Christ and what Jesus did on the cross when he defeated the powers of sin and death through his death uh, and resurrection. You know, it's a way to snuff out evil, and it's very creative. So Jesus is encouraging us to develop a new, a new reflex so that, you know, when someone hits you in the face, you don't reflexively hit them back, but you figure out creatively a way to, to put an end to this evil cycle of violence, which does no one any good. And we do this because Jesus himself has, in the cross, snuffed out the powers and principalities of darkness in the world already. So we're doing it in good company. The second example Jesus gives in verse 40 says, If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. So in this situation, you're now in a court of law, and the more powerful person is suing you, perhaps because you're poor and can't pay them what you owe them, which would have been very common for all the people that Jesus talked to, uh, people that were poor. So have, we have a rich person, presumably doing violence to the dignity of a poor person, by taking away the shirt off their back to make the statement, you owe me. Your down payment is your shirt. Right? That's what's happening right here. So, in this situation, Jesus has a creative response as well. He says, if someone wants to sue you and take your shirt you are to not give them just your shirt, but your coat as well. In these days, outer coats were much more significant than they are for us today. They would have been the, many times the bedding that someone slept with. It was kind of like the main thing that you had that you needed to have in order to survive, in order to be warm and also to, at nighttime, and also to be shielded from sun uh, in, the, in the desert mornings. This is a very important piece of outerwear. And Jesus is saying, if someone wants to sue you and take your shirt, then right in front of them, take your coat off, your outer garment. So you're basically, basically, this person is now, this poor person is now standing there in their undergarments. Um, and evil is shown to be what it is. This person has brought you to court. They're, they're, they're grinding the faces of the poor, as the prophets complained in the Old Testament. And so it's, it's, it's a way that to non-violently and not without retribution, it's a way to expose evil and put an end to the cycle of violence. This is a very creative, loving, and gracious action. And once again, Jesus counters this, this dehumanizing thing, like I'm suing you for your shirt, by telling a poor person to not offer just their shirt, but their coat as well. And in, in looking at this, you might be tempted to say, well, isn't this sort of like revenge on that person? Well, no, because this all has to be done with love in our hearts for our enemy and our adversary. That's, that's the loophole. We can't have vengeance in our heart. Jesus died so that we would not live with vengeance in our heart anymore, which he calls murder earlier in this sermon. So everything we do as we expose evil in order to, for it to be snuffed out, we are doing this, even this, in love. Even as we strip down from our garments and give them over to the person who's suing us, who has much more money than we do, 
Yeah, we're kind of putting that person to shame, but, but strangely we're doing it in love and to bring about an end to the circle of retribution and violence. So, you've heard it was said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. I tell you. Third example Jesus gives in this passage is, is based on the, the political situation of his day that was happening. You know, the Romans had, were, had taken over uh, Jerusalem were ruling in Jerusalem, and the soldiers, the centurions, were operating both as military soldiers and as police in the streets. So in Jesus' day, both, both the, uh, the Roman centurions had this right in their law as the occupying force to demand that any civilian carry their equipment for up to one mile. So there was this, this, this law that, you know, if you are the if you are the, the occupying force, the Roman guard, you can come up to some person who you see on the street and say, you know what, my stuff is heavy. You carry it for me for a mile. And they're forced to walk with you for a mile. As you might imagine, this infuriated everybody who was conscript, conscripted to do this because it was kind of like a rubbing in their face of, you guys are not actually free. You are underneath the rule of Rome. And when Rome tells you to jump, you jump. Okay? So that was kind of like the whole, the whole thing that was going on. Zealots in Jesus' day, especially, were, were fuming against Rome being the conquering uh, force in their, in their, in their place. And, uh, and zealots were constantly starting riots and starting uh, violent protests. Uh, Jesus had some zealots among his disciples when he got taken in the garden. One of those zealot disciples uh, chopped off the ear of a Roman centurion, and Jesus said, put that sword away. He who lives by the sword will die by the sword and puts the soldier's ear back. But that was a cool story. But um, this whole Roman soldier making you carry their stuff for a mile, very dehumanizing, much like the taking away your shirt and your tunic, much like slapping somebody with the back of your hand, very dehumanizing situation. And in this situation, every person from the most Christ-like follower of Jesus to the most extreme zealot, would be fuming with rage and anger. But Jesus advises his disciples not to, not to let murder enter their heart, as he talks about earlier, not to let hatred and, and, uh, and, and anger enter their heart, but instead to, have, to develop a new reflex of responding to even this kind of oppression, this dehumanizing oppression with love and grace. And Jesus says, if someone forces you to go with them a mile, go with them two miles. In this way, the labor is no longer conscripted labor, but you as a free person have your own generosity and love and following of Jesus Christ are reflecting to this soldier the generosity of the, the Savior who calls you. Going the second mile would have been very surprising to any Roman soldier. It also would have been illegal for them to require you to go an extra mile, so they would have felt kind of sheepish about you doing that. There would have been surprise, there would have been some alarm, but the message would be clear. You know, revenge, retribution, anger, and resentment is melted away in an act of love, first and foremost. And again, it has to be done in love because we are to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. So these are three different concrete examples that Jesus gives which I find to be very imaginative, which, if, if, if practiced, 
are going to overcome evil with good. If practiced, instead of eye for eye, tooth for tooth, foot for foot, not resisting, but in a peaceful, loving way, showing people who you are following. What all of these three examples have in common is, Jesus is saying, you heard it was said by Moses. You, you heard me say in the Ten Commandments, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, but now a new age has come. A new time has come. And you need to develop a new reflex in your person. Christ, it says in Romans 10, 4, is the culmination of the law, so there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. So instead of, of hatred, of, of revenge and anger, the disciple of Christ is to offer a new reflex of love, grace, and peace by looking through the cross that Jesus died on at everything around them. Peacefully holding on to your dignity, holding on to your personal agency, your power, by loving your enemy and praying for those who persecute you in love. So instead of putting up a defensive wall of anger, what this passage calls re, uh, resisting an evil person, instead of putting up that wall and resisting an evil person, Jesus says it's time to respond creatively. It's time to stop resisting evil people and actively, don't just be a passive victim, but actively begin overcoming evil with good creatively. And in Jesus' three examples, it does take some creativity. But these three responses to evil are, are there to show us ways that we can concretely uh, snuff out wickedness and hatred with love. We're going to be getting into the passage next week that we, that we ended with today. You have heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. So in response to the evil person who's trying to hurt us, to oppress us, we must begin with loving that enemy, praying for the enemy, and then lovingly and with prayer, developing a new reflex, ceasing to resist the enemy, ceasing to get revenge on the enemy, but to creatively blitz them with love and grace of God, who causes his reign to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. That's the whole point. We, we, we are to be, it says, perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. We are to be like God who lets his reign fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. We are to be like God, who loves us and is faithful to us, even on our worst days, and carries us through. So in this way, we reflect the love of our Father in heaven, and obey Jesus' command to stop all of the revenge with love. And of course, um, it can't be emphasized enough, this is a new way of dealing with evil that Jesus is proposing. He's saying the time for eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth is over. A new thing has come and it's based on what I'm doing and what I'm doing at the cross. So this applies to us. And Jesus, of course, showed us how to do this exactly in his life, his death, and his resurrection at the hands of evil people. As a lamb before its shears is silent, so Jesus stood silent before his accusers, refusing to defend himself verbally. When they slapped Jesus in the face and pulled at his beard and drove a crown of thorns on his head, he did not retaliate. And finally, as he was being nailed to a wooden cross, he prayed that God would forgive the people who were nailing him to the cross. This is what Jesus did through and through. And Jesus died. 
But after three days, God vindicated him, declaring that he was the new Adam, and there was a new creation and a new kingdom, and the way to overcome evil is not with eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, retribution, but through death and resurrection. Through the cross of Jesus. It says in Colossians 2, 13-15, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Everything you do as a Christian in this area of eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, you know, in this, in this area of following Jesus, is meant to reflect and take part in what Jesus did at the cross. He disarmed the powers the way that we disarmed the powers and made a public spectacle of them, triumphing them over them by the cross. Once we are dead in our sins, but God made us alive with Christ, he canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. You see, in God's world that he created, there is a thing where when unjust things has happened, it, it matters, it counts. That's why people that don't trust in Jesus are demanded to pay for their own sins. But those of us who trust in Jesus, he pays the price for us. There, when Jesus died on the cross, he was setting right the scales of justice so that anyone who believes in Jesus and his righteousness will not perish but have everlasting life. That's what he was doing. Canceling our debt. If any of us were to stand before God and be held to the eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, there would be nothing left of us. Because we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we've sinned against each other and against God. But Jesus at the cross, he took all of that on himself and gave his life willingly to set the whole justice system that God had created um, in favor of anyone that would trust in Jesus in the future. And from that place of being vindicated, of being forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ and trusting in him, from that place of having had our debt canceled against us, we are to go forward and creatively love people and give them grace in, as a first reflex to them doing violence and evil against us. So it's a tough thing, you know? It's almost as if Jesus is saying, I'm going to hit you with a hammer here, and then your arm's going to go like this. That's your new reflex. Build a new reflex based on the cross of Christ. Build a new reflex where you love your enemies and pray for them, and whenever you're confronted with evil, you don't seek revenge, retribution. You certainly don't hold hatred in your heart, but you creatively find ways to show the love and grace of God. And in so doing, just like Jesus making a public spectacle of evil, and putting an end to the cycle of violence, which has been going nuts ever since the beginning. This is God's word for us today. I know that there's a certain type of person, my best friend is one of those people, who hates when there's a sermon that's too abstract, and they're like, how do I put this into practice? Like, they would hear Jesus giving these examples and say, okay, those are some concrete examples, but what about this example? What about that example? There's a sense in which I think God is challenging us to do the work of creativity required in order to figure out how to snuff out evil and end the cycle of violence. He's saying in this situation, 
here's a creative solution. In this situation, here's a creative solution. For us who are faced with evil and violence and the temptation to get revenge every day, or at least every year, um, we are called in response to what Jesus has done for us to, to really think through how we can creatively love our enemy and pray for those who persecute us, how we can creatively throw off the oppressiveness without retaliating and then exposing evil for what it is so it can be taken care of. And this is all in the knowledge that it is God who is ultimately just and the one who justifies. So even as we ourselves are crucified in the, in the course of following Jesus, it's God who raises us back to life. So it's a challenge, and it's a challenge to, to know how to live this out, but it's very clear. The time for eye for an eye and tooth for tooth is over. No more retributive justice. It's time to develop a reflex of love and grace that exposes evil and deals with it, just like Jesus ultimately dealt with it at the cross in response to our salvation and all he's done. So if you'll pray with me. Jesus, I pray for us as a church that we would not look away from this hard teaching. We are groomed to make justice happen for us, or at least to get revenge, or at least to retaliate in some way. And we follow a Savior who stood silent before his accusers, forgave those who crucified him. I pray that we would be little Christs, that we would be Christians, who learn a new reflex, that just as you triumphed over the powers on the cross, that in our own lives you would trample Satan and evil underneath your feet. Help us to learn what it means to go with them a second mile. Help us to learn what it means to give not only our shirt but our coat as well. Help us to know what it means for us to turn the other cheek Help us to know how to apply this in our lives, in our church. And I pray, along with Jesus, that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. We thank you, ultimately, for the cross, for putting an end to all of this violence in yourself. May we be like you, loving and giving grace to everyone because you've given it to us. We recognize, as in so many other times when confronted with your word, what's impossible with people is possible through you. And so we look to you and we ask for strength through the Holy Spirit's help. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dispersed to go and be the church.